Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk CFL with John Hodge of Three Down Nation, looking ahead to the big bomber Stampeder game, and find out as well what's going on with a big regatta in Gimli this weekend. That's all coming up on the podcast. Blue Bombers hosting the Calgary Stampeders, second straight week of a back of a back-to-back where the Bombers are facing an undefeated opponent. The Bombers undefeated themselves. It should be a great one tomorrow night. John Hodge of Three Down Nation joins us now. He'll be in the press box. I'll be on the sideline. John, how excited are you for tomorrow night's contest? I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, last week was a battle of the unbeaten. Winnipeg and Vancouver, the Bombers, I think, did an excellent job of showing that they are still very much the team to beat in the CFL, and they get to do it again tomorrow against an undefeated Calgary St. Peter's team. I'm extremely excited. I think it's going to be a great game. So Calgary beats Edmonton 49 to six Winnipeg beats BC 43 to 22. Who sent the louder message on the road last week? I think it was the, the Winnipeg blue bombers to be perfectly honest. And it's, it's for a couple of reasons. One strength of the opponent, right? You mentioned it off the top. Edmonton is not a very good football team right now. They're on their third starting quarterback in just six weeks. Um, whereas BC, I mean, BC looked unbelievably good. The first three weeks of the season, they absolutely decimated uh, their first two opponents of the year at home in games against Edmonton and Toronto. And they went on the road on a short week and beat Ottawa in a very impressive win. And let's for, let's remember too, you know, Winnipeg didn't just go into Vancouver and win. They went into Vancouver on a short week. They only had four days of rest after playing in Toronto. So they fly all that way out east, and they fly all the way back home, all the way out west on a short week. I'm not taking anything away from Calgary's win. They dominated Edmonton in that game, uh, but I mean, with Trey Ford getting hurt that game, I think that set Edmonton back a little bit. And again, Winnipeg beating a top team on the road, on a short week, I, I think is the more impressive win. Mike O'Shea today said there's no ribbon for being undefeated after six weeks, but the winner of this game will be the last remaining undefeated team in the Canadian Football League. And again, it is only mid-July, but does it mean anything to be the last one standing? I mean, I, I think it makes you feel good. I think the only drawback to to being the last one standing is, is maybe perhaps, you know, you have a little bit of a target on your back, but Winnipeg Blue Bombers are back-to-back Grey Cup champions. Everybody everybody gets up to play them each week. They're already getting the best, right, of their opposition. And so, no, I, I, I don't think that there's any reason not to want that ribbon. You know, you, you may as well go for it. To me, the bigger issue is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers get to host the Calgary Stampeders twice this year. They only have to go to the Grand Stadium once. So you, you certainly don't want to lose at home because if you lose at home, if you want to win the season series, you've got to win at McMahon and then you've got to win back at IG Field and the two teams meet at the end of August. So to me, that's, that's the bigger issue. Yeah, it's nice to be undefeated, but you want to get off to the right start with this season series because in a tight West division with Calgary playing very well so far this season, you certainly want to make sure you have that season series in the bag to help you host that all-important West final. So Calgary's been, you know, the the team of the last decade in the CFL. The Bombers the last couple of years are, are wrestling that mantle away. But Bo Levi Mitchell has been the principal reason why they've been so steady for a decade. Last year, he was not very good. He was not very healthy. Is their solid start to the season come down to basically Bo Levi Mitchell? Is Bo Levi Mitchell again? Well, I, I think that's certainly a big part of it. I, I do think that the 
the the defense is very good. I mean, Rene Paradis has been very consistent. They've had some nice returns on special teams, but but certainly Bo has been a big part of that. You're right. He struggled last year. He led the CFL in interceptions. We're certainly used to Bo Levi Mitchell leading the CFL statistical categories. That's not the particular category, right? We're used to seeing him in the number one spot. This year, he's been much better. He's thrown six touchdowns to two picks. That's a much more Bo Levi Mitchell-esque ratio, if you will. Um, I'm not convinced he has the velocity from his arm. He struggled with shoulder injuries the last two years on his show, his throwing side, his throwing arm. Um, but you mentioned it. He was really banged up last year. He also suffered a fracture in his leg last year, and I think came back from that earlier than was probably optimal. So, yes, I, I think Bo is a big part of that success, and he deserves credit for fighting through those injuries because it, we reached a point where I truly did not think we would ever see Bo Levi Mitchell be the Bo Levi Mitchell of old. I was very skeptical about him coming into the season. He had a shaky first game, uh, particularly in the second half to open the year against Montreal. Jake Mayer had to come in and finish that game, uh, lead a, a, a touchdown drive. But since then, he's been very good and uh, full credit to the future Hall of Famer for sure. Yeah, the Stamps are 4-0 this year. They were in some squeakers early on. They beat the Owls by three. They they roar back from way down against the Tiger Cats to win in overtime. And then they beat the Elks back-to-back weeks, who, again, we've established are not very good. So you could argue that this is um, one of the bigger tests that the Stampede or the Stampeders will have. And conversely, the Bombers will have a great test here, too. Do you feel at all, and you cover the CFL across the country here and talk to people all the time for Three Down Nation, is there any feeling that either of these two teams are flying under the radar just because of the Lions' hot start, the dysfunction at Edmonton, and Montreal's coaching change? Well, I I wouldn't say either is flying under the radar. I I would say they're, they're simply, you know, two very consistent outfits that that don't go through a lot of change, right? Neither of these teams tend to have, you know, high highs and low lows. They're they're consistent some consistent performers. I was talking to some people yesterday, you know, who who have prepared for this game tomorrow and, and ask questions about either side. And it's it's remarkable the respect and admiration both teams have for one another. And I think that respect carries around the lead. People understand how, how, how tough it is, right, to not only get to the top of the mountain, but stay at the top of the mountain. And, and you highlighted, and Calgary's been a class of the CFL for, for a, you know, over a decade now. I think Winnipeg is, is certainly, you know, put up a good fight for that mantle. I think you could argue they've, they've, they've won that mantle over the last couple of years with their Grey Cup success and their, their consistent run of making the playoffs now five years in a row, hosting a playoff game in many of those years. So, no, I don't think they're taking anybody by surprise, but certainly neither team is uh, is necessarily the best at generating headlines, right? Because to generate headlines, you need controversial things to happen, right? You need your defensive tackle to go out and uh, purposely injure a starting quarterback for another team. For example, like the Saskatchewan Roughbiters had last week against Jeremiah Masoli and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Um, you know, Edmondson has, has cut starters every week this year. They've traded a quarterback away at Nick Arbuckle. So neither side is necessarily the flashiest, but flashy doesn't always mean good. And, and both sides are, 
are certainly, uh, I think, uh, uh, teams that have earned the respect of people league-wide. Steady excellence from both sides. Absolutely. The Blue Bombers placed Brendan O'Leary-Orange on the six-game injured list, a list that was very short for most of last year, but has really ballooned through only five games so far this year. Do you think that catches up with them at some point, or are we really just looking at a super deep team that just has talent everywhere that can afford to have injuries because they can fill those holes? I I would lean more to the latter. I I think when Michael Couture, the starting center, West Division All-Star last year, was out, that was an area of concern. Well, Chris Kolonkowski has come in, kind of a a journeyman, undersized, uh, offensive lineman, formerly of the Toronto Argonauts, came in. He was on the PR most of last year, and he's, he's really secured that spot um, at the center position. Uh, another thing to consider, I don't know when they'll be back, but two players who suffered uh, season-ending knee injuries very late last year, Brandon Alexander and Noah Hallett, are both expected to be back before the end of the year. They have not played all season, uh, but they should be back. And I think, and this is speculation, but... With the way in which the Bombers have not brought anybody in, essentially, to replace Nick Dembski, right? They replaced him with Brennan O'Leary-Orange. He's missed three games. He'll miss his fourth game tomorrow. My guess is that he's going to be back, if not the following week, uh, very soon thereafter. He's, again, he's done three games on the sixth game. Uh, but this is not, you know, it's not like the Bombers have gone out and signed two veteran receivers uh, to try to accommodate for his loss. They have basically just relied on in-house uh, uh, players. The only exception would be Luke McMillan, the former Winnipeg rifle, who has joined the team this week. Um, you know, I, I think it's a wonderful story to have a local player there. But, but adding a, a Winnipeg rifle tells me this team is not looking for, you know, a, a, a player who can step in tomorrow and play or, or a player who can, can start free in a week. You know, there are free agents available. There are players available out there um, who could potentially fill those gaps, fill those holes. And uh, Winnipeg has not asked them to come by. So I think that that they are in a good position, uh, provided they start getting these players back. And and I think they will. None of these appear to be season-ending, and especially with Dembski. I think we'll see him back sooner rather than later. Before I let you go, just a thought on uh, the big event happening this weekend for the CFL, and that's Touchdown Atlantic, where they sold 10,000 tickets really quick to the game between the Argonauts and the Rough Riders. How much of a priority should the CFL make adding a 10th team in the Maritimes? I think it's a huge priority. Um, You know, I think a big part of the push between the failed partnership between the CFL and XFL was the goal of having a not only you know a way of, of building revenues league-wide, but with having a more robust uh, weekly schedule, uh, particularly with how betting and sports gambling has become such a large uh, potential revenue stream for the league and, and, a, and a source of interest for fans. Um, currently, with the way the schedule works, each team in a nine-team league needs to have three bye weeks. Well, guess what? Nobody wants three teams to go on buys that happened last week. We only got three, three games last week. Um, and it also forces some awkward scheduling. Um, you know, the BC lions, they've only played four games, but they're on their second bye week right now. Like that's just ridiculous. And so having a 10th team would not only 
raise league revenues, would not only bring in a new part of this country, but it would also provide the CFL with a slate of, of five games each week. And maybe then, you know, I think TSN does does a decent job of, of being the, the league's sole, you know, exclusive broadcaster. But, you know, if you're the CFL, maybe you go, okay, well, let's, let's see if we can get that fifth game elsewhere. Maybe we can sell the, the rights to that game elsewhere and, and potentially draw even more interest, draw more viewership, draw more people uh, into watching our games. And so I think it is, it is a huge step. I think that's why the CFL is there. I, I know that my colleague Justin Dunk did a 30-minute interview today with the mayor of Halifax. That's going to be up on our website soon. And uh, I hope it happens. I really do. I think it, I think it would do a great uh, service to our country, and I think it would also further secure the future and the success of the CFL. I agree with that. John Hodge, appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and we'll see you at the game tomorrow night. Thank you very much. Anytime. Close to 200 sailors from Western Canada and the Atlantic will be in action this weekend on Saturday and Sunday as they will take part in Sail Canada's 2022 Sail East competition at St. Margaret Sailing Club in Glen Haven, Nova Scotia, and Sail Canada's 2022 Sail West event at the Gimli Yacht Club. Michael Couture is the chairperson of the Sail West Regatta in Gimli. No, not the Blue Bomber offensive lineman. And I talked to Michael earlier today about the event. Well, this weekend is uh, what's called the Sail West Championships. And for, uh, I guess, really what it is, it's the Western Canadian Sailing Championships. And uh, so, obviously, the provinces, uh, BC through Manitoba, are represented. It also is in conjunction with what's called the No Coast Laser or ILCA Master Championships. And that's uh, sailors that are age 30 and over. It's uh, an event that's, that's happening at the same time. So how many people are going to be here for these races? Uh, there's about 50 athletes that will be here. Okay. Is this an event that kind of rotates from spot to spot around Western Canada, or is it always in Gimli? No, it rotates from uh, province to province. Okay. So how excited are you to be having it here in Manitoba this year? Well, actually really excited. Because in fact, this is the third year in a row we've organized it, and this is the, the first year we're actually – Actually, it's actually happening, right? So because of the uh, the pandemic, the, the last two years were canceled. I've noticed on the, the release that there's a bunch of different breakdowns into categories here. What's the difference between the categories and how long are people racing for? Um, there is uh, ILCA 6, ILCA 7, and ILCA 4.7 category. That basically... It's the same boat with slightly different sail sizes. And there are, uh, I think, about a dozen in each of those categories. There's also what's called a 29er category. And that is a two-person boat that has a spinnaker and uh, a dual trapeze. It's a pretty exciting class. Um, Goes a little faster than the ILCA classifications. Uh, There's also Optimus, which are nine foot sailboats that you know kids usually between the ages of eight and 15 race so that kind of makes up the bulk of the of the the fleece there is a 2.4 um uh category as well i believe there's four of them racing and it's a uh a boat that uh is is saleable by people that have uh handicaps and uh so um that's also a class that uh, we have in the event. 
do does every category follow the same route on the water or is it different for different categories so there's two different sailing race courses and they'll spread them out between the two courses and each race lasts about 45 minutes to an hour they try to set the length of the course relative to the wind velocity okay so depending on the weather then will determine the course yeah depend on how long it is right okay longer because they try to have the race end in that 45 minute to 50 minute range so obviously when people want to go out on the lake on a leisure little boat they probably don't want to have huge wind is there a you know a a nice threshold where you want the wind where it's not too windy but you got to have some wind out there what's the sweet spot i guess it really depends on the sailor because some sailors prefer light winds and some sailors prefer the heavy strong winds and usually it's a function of people's skill Sometimes body weight, because sometimes uh, if you're stronger and, and bigger, you prefer the heavier winds. And sometimes if you're lighter, uh, you want a lighter wind race. Uh, because typically, if you don't have the body weight, sometimes you can't make the boat go as fast when the winds are stronger. And so when it when it is that strong of a wind, then, is it harder to control the sails? Absolutely. Everything happens faster. Okay. Right. It's uh, it's definitely more difficult. I mean, it just takes a lot of practice. Is there a point where it could be too windy to race? Absolutely. I mean, it, it becomes dangerous where equipment's breaking or, you know, people are capsizing and potentially separating from themselves from the boat. Um, it And basically, that is the race committee person's uh, uh, job is to determine whether or not uh, – safety is a concern and if so they will put up a race abandonment flag and everyone is to return to the harbor so i reckon then you and the race organizers are checking the weather stats every 30 seconds well the 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 principal race officer that's her job she basically is going to be very uh in tune with weather and weather forecasts and and obviously just keeping an eye on things just to be prepared how does one practice for an event like this? Well, I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a coach, you know, coaches will run you through uh, drills. They'll actually go take you out onto the water in groups of, like groups of sailors, and they'll set marker buoys, and they'll do practice starts. They'll do uh, uh, drills where you're just doing, like, repetitive drills. It's like a lot of sports. The, you know, you do repetition and uh, um, and just to get comfortable with uh, with the boat. And in terms of, you know, dry land training, one would say in other sports, is it a lot of upper body or is it really a full body workout to control the sails? Uh, I guess it depends on which boat you're in. But for the most part, if it's windy, uh, it's a very physically demanding sport. Um, Upper body, um, core, um, quads, I'll tell you, it's it's I think you were probably right in referring it to as a, a total body workout. How did you get involved in sailing? Uh, when I was 16 years old, my dad bought a, a laser. And uh, right out of the, the gate, I enjoyed it and uh, started uh, started sailing and started racing. It became uh, a passion for me. What was it about it that drew you in? Uh, you know what? You know, when you're when you're in a, a small sailboat, you're 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 one with the boat, like your body movement with the boat. Uh, has an impact on the performance of the boat and and you know getting wet getting uh, you know uh, you can surf on the waves it's um, it's just exhilarating and how long have you been doing it now then 
Well, I've been doing it for, uh, I don't know, between 40 and 50 years. So if you were, I know you're the race organizer, so you can't go into this race, but if you were to enter, how do you think you'd do? Um, I don't, you know what, I'm not really in tune with, uh, the, uh, the, the level of the competition. Like I look at the, the registration names and I, I don't know everybody like I used to. So I, I, uh, I, I really can't tell you because <laughs> I'm not sure. Fair enough. Okay. If people want to go watch this, can, are, are the, are the boats staying close enough to shore that people can see them in action? I would think if you went onto the main dock in the Gimli Harbor, you might be able to, to, to see some of the, the action. However, it really depends on which way the wind is blowing. If the wind is blowing offshore, they will be starting further out. Um, we do, however, have a spectator boat that is going to be taking people out to the race course. So if people are interested in actually uh, going out to the race course on a boat, I would suggest they show up at the, the Gimli Yacht Club um, maybe at 10 o'clock in the morning on either day, Saturday or Sunday, and um, look for the uh, information desk and uh, find out when this uh, this uh, spectator boat's going to go out onto the water. Cool. So I'm curious, again, the course can change based on the weather then. Is it marked? Are there buoys or is it all GPS based? They actually take the buoys out with them to the race course and they set the course wherever they feel it's appropriate to set it. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, anything else you want to add before I let you go? Ah, uh, you know what? Sailing is a lot of fun, and uh, even just coming coming by the Gimli Yacht Club over the weekend, you know, there's you know uh, thirty to fifty boats rigging their boats in the morning and and de-rigging them in the afternoon. It's quite a sight, and it's pretty exciting just to maybe come by and take a look and uh, and uh, see the action on the shore, let alone out on the uh, on the race course. So uh, thank you for, for, for your time, Christian. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell. Until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share a